Welcome to the No Normal. No Normal Podcast is a special presentation coming to you from New Music Edmonton. Thank you for joining us for this month's array of conversations, music, and special features. We're also happy to announce a new partnership between NME and CJSR Radio in Edmonton. The No Normal has joined the lineup of great programming on CJSR and watch for additional special projects between NME and CJSR in the future. You can find them on the airwaves in Edmonton at 88.5 FM and online at cjsr.com. For more information about NME programming and events, look us up on social media or visit our website, newmusicedmonton.ca. New Music Edmonton respectfully acknowledges that this celebration of creativity was produced on Treaty 6 territory. Amiskwachewiskaigan is the traditional gathering place of the many Indigenous peoples whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence and enrich our community. We further acknowledge that it was the Indigenous peoples of Treaty 6 who established the principles for, and have remained exemplars of, the respectful and caring use of this land for the purposes of art, livelihood, and spirituality. It's from these principles that New Music Edmonton has sought and will continue to seek partnerships, inspiration, and learning. Welcome to Episode 5 of NME's The No Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Oscar Tsebarth. It's February, and we're just emerging from a polar vortex. It's been cold real cold. But at least the days are getting longer. New Music Edmonton has been commissioning lots of new creative work in recent months. Those works and conversations with their creators feature throughout the No Normal series. This episode continues that pattern as we present brand new compositions from Chris Dirksen and Shumaila Hemani, commissioned by NME. We are also very pleased to welcome two new interviewers to our team, Matthew Cardinal and Piyush Patel. Chris Dirksen is a cellist and composer with a growing profile, both in Canada and internationally. Her classical works, film projects, and a stunning array of collaborations and live performances have made her an extremely in-demand artist. Her new work, Nice and Clean, was commissioned by New Music Edmonton and is being presented here for the first time. Speaking to Chris Dirksen about her work is Matthew Cardinal, another important artistic voice both as a soloist and as a member of the trio Nahiwak. Cardinal has several releases to his credit, as well as extensive work providing music and soundscapes for films, television, and radio. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm in Toronto, the Dish With One Spoon territory. My name is Chris Dirksen, and I grew up in Edmonton, and I'm from Treaty 8, and I'm half Cree and half Mennonite, which makes me a Cree Mennonite. I'm a composer and a cellist. I come from North Tall Cree Reserve on my dad's side and Buffalo Head Hills La Crete on my mom's side. Uh, so like 975 kilometers south of you in Edmonton. That's where I originally come from. And right now it's warmer up there than it is for you in Edmonton. This is Matthew Cardinal. I am yeah, living in Amiskwichi. This is Treaty 6 territory, but I'm from up north in still Treaty 6 territory, actually. Laclabish area I grew up. Uh, Beaver Lake is my band, and I am uh, 
mixed Cree and miscellaneous things, Finnish and uh, French and all that. Yeah, so I'm here in the polar vortex in Edmonton. It's about minus 40 with a wind chill at the moment. Every time I have to go outside, I've got to hype myself up for a few hours. Yeah, I forgot you, uh, you used to live here. Uh, how long has it been since you moved away? Oh, um, that's going to date me quite a bit, like 20 years. <laughs> I left after my second year okay. of, of university at U of A. I started cello at U of A. Mm, okay. did a few years there, but I wasn't quite ready to be in university yet. So I left and did Canada World Youth, which brought me over to Vancouver, where I finished my degree and lived for 12 years. And now I've been in Toronto for seven already. I wanted to ask you about your dog. Oh, Dati. She's doing super good. She's like a year and two months now. She's sleeping somewhere in the house. That's the big gift of the pandemic for me was to be at home and to have a civilian lifestyle where I can like actually be at home and like actually take my dog for a walk and have a dog. Because like I was touring so much before that... I couldn't really, it didn't make a lot of sense for me and Rebecca, my wife, but since we've been home for forever, we got a, a, a dog from Mexico, part Cholo mix, also part Indige. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Indigenous dog. That's awesome. Yeah, I've, I've just, I wanted to hear about this dog for so long, so I thought this was the perfect opportunity, so. Yeah, she's, um, she's a good singer. She... Oh. She sings with me when I play cello. Oh, I like, love that. Not all the time. It's only when she's like really feeling it um, that, that she gets into it. Yeah, I'm in kind of the same boat. I like of I've wanted a dog for so long, but I guess the past few years, especially, I've been traveling so much, and it's just not really a stable uh, lifestyle in the past while. That it's like it wouldn't really be easy. It, you know, it would have to be with other people half the time. Definitely. Like, I'm, to be honest, I'm already, like, worried about when when we can start traveling again and, like, what that looks like for me and how much I want to be gone. Right. Um, because I love traveling. I love seeing the world. I love eating really good food. I love hanging out with my friends that don't live wherever I am. Yes. But... But then you're not at home. <laughs> you're, not at home. you're not with your dog or your wife. Yeah. Your life or your guinea pigs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's no. yeah, it's that's tough. It's a, a I don't know, double edged sword. Would that does that fit in this situation? I miss seeing people all over the country and anywhere that I'm playing music. It's so that's been tough to go so long without seeing friends and Right. It's like our entire summer is is bouncing around and like having really deep meaningful conversations with other in our case like other indigenous artists who are doing the same thing you know and that we like completely relate to and you know can pick up a conversation kind of where we left off you know with like a few little like cat marks being like hey how's it going like what's going on and then you like kind of get into it and you're like back to best buddies you know yeah yeah it's a thing to miss for sure it's i've been trying to you know hit up some friends that i haven't seen in a while just to have catch-up phone calls because it's like oh i so used to seeing you like every you know few months because i'm like flying out for a show and it's just uh my bandmates aren't in my bubble so i 
the last time I saw them <laughs> literally was like so we had a, a show like on in March last year for the Sydney Opera House um, so we left on March 11th and the pandemic was declared I think on March 12th globally mm-hmm. we were in the air oh man so when we landed in Australia and Sydney like it was a whole new world like the Junos were cancelled yep. like the hockey was cancelled everything was cancelled mm-hmm. and uh, we were like <laughs> as far as we could be from home <laughs> oh my goodness that's wild but we got to play our last show like it was great we got to play uh, the Sydney Opera House which is cool and we had a good time we came home early yeah. but that was the last time I've seen my bandmates in in real life I was getting ready to go to the Junos but I, I had a feeling oh, yeah. like, like I think this is gonna not happen and I was just opening up Twitter and like refreshing it like then it happened and I was like okay and called uh, Merrick drummer Merrick yeah. and then- he was on his way to the airport i think he was drunk and i was like hey don't go yeah don't go don't get on that plane <laughs> you're just gonna have to come back yeah and I, I know some people that were actually already there yeah yeah, yeah. like Esquay was already there right like because Esquay was supposed to perform oh that must have been so heartbreaking such a bummer yeah to get there and then it's like canceled but Too late. Like, glad it was canceled and i was also uh, behind on some work that weekend so I was able to catch up so it was good for me that the Junos were cancelled <laughs> okay well we should listen to the dog singing right here yeah <laughs> so this is uh, Chris Dirksen and Dottie uh, playing, a pe- playing a piece from from my repertoire we'll say okay. alright let's hear it What are you working on right now? The music for uh, it's this online, it's a sketch comedy show 
called Folklords. It's a, <laughs> a oh yeah, an indigenous guy and a, a Jewish guy, I believe. And they're it's like a comedy. They do comedy uh, mm-hmm. live, and they've since been doing like a little skits. And this is the second season, so I've been doing the music for that, and I am just about done. Sweet. Yeah. And um, what else am I doing? I'm doing music for a podcast right now too. Uh, that's about presidential school survivors. It's uh, interviews with some survivors. Heavy. Yeah, pretty heavy. And um, and then I'm going to be doing another project that's about indigenous language revitalization. So it's cool. Yeah, it's all yeah. over all over the place. It's a it's interesting, but I'm glad to be a part of this work. It's it's really it's really cool. And really nice to be asked. What are you working on? This commission from New Music uh, Edmonton came in. I had a few things on my plate before then. I guess a major thing that I've done since the pandemic started was, or is, I'm I'm like, like last two days of it, is a four-part docu-series on British Columbia. It's called British Columbia uh, History for uh, the Knowledge Network. It's super cool. I know a lot of the folks that are on screen, there's a lot of Indigenous folks involved, but it's not only about Indigenous, the Indigenous history of British Columbia. It is about like the colonial history of British Columbia and how that affected like everybody across the board, Indigenous folks. BIPOC folks, um, you know, like the Japanese internment camps. It covers like a whole big gamut of how our country created laws and rules that made it easier for the white person to get ahead and those that are not so white to fall behind, quote unquote, to not get the same privileges. That like lead into today's world. COVID has always been like <laughs> the numbers have always not been great in Toronto. But then, right when I started, the numbers went a heck of a lot worse. Mm-hmm. So originally, I was going to compose at home, make sketches, and record everything in a professional studio. But that be that's not possible right now. Most studios aren't really doing a lot and it also just like didn't make a lot of sense so it changed a lot instead of the instrumentation being like bigger it was just like piano and cello and what i could play (laughs) well that's still very nice (laughs) so there's that uh this nice and clean Uh by this composition i've done like three classical commissions during this time and then coming up is really good. There's one I can't talk about because I signed an NDA, but it's really exciting. Oh. Uh, you'll find out, I don't know, in a while. Absolutely. And then I've got a larger uh, classical composition for this festival in Vancouver that is deadlining soonish. The big thing is I finally, with the time at home, I finally sent in all of my final reports for all of the grants that I had done. Great. (laughs) That allowed me to write another grant to do my next album. Wonderful. Amazing. So my last album came out in 2015. Definitely took my time. And it was nominated for 2016 Junos in instrumental. So I finally have carved out time in my life to, to do this next album, which will be like a mix between my electronic work and my classical stuff. Um, the working title is called 
the trilogy of truths and other adventures. Mm-hmm. So this piece, Nice and Clean, is a bit of part of that trilogy and where I'm taking voices of white folks talking about indigenous folks when when I can find them like the earliest I think I found is 1947 and even well into the 70s you can hear the stereotypes and the prejudices folks have and are very vocal about um, indigenous folks in it Mm -hmm. that's that's a really interesting concept I'm looking forward to hearing more of that and how you um, break it in. Nice and clean. Uh, how did you play the piano and cello at the same time? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> is that great? I, I am magic. <laughs> it's your toes. You know, I didn't, I didn't play the, the piano uh, <laughs> for that one. This one's actually like a bit, because it's kind of quippy, it's kind of fast. Mm-hmm. It's, definitely too hard for me to play the piano um i got my friend darren creech um he's is his handle is like queer pianist in toronto oh. um he he is in my bubble so very luckily um i have a i have a masters of piano guy that i hang out with often so <laughs> We just we went to his studio and and recorded the piano and then I did the cello part at home. Right. Well, I worked out nicely. <laughs> yeah, what was a bit tricky is like honestly I wrote it too fast mm. without playing it before. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And then I recorded the piano part first, so that was a bit of a it was a bit of a bitch for me to learn it right. on the cello. Yeah, I haven't played that fast in a while. <laughs> had to chug a five-hour energy or something. I had to, yeah. And, like, I had to do, like, the metronome thing where you, like, play it really slowly over and over and, like, slowly bring it up and then bring it back down. I did that for, like, a full week. I was I was back in university. Oh, <laughs> well, now you can go really fast. I feel like there's some pieces that I write for other people, Um and I feel like this is kind of one of them where I write for folks that are in the classical world and still have those classical chops yeah. because I can play in tune and I'm totally, totally decent and I play my own music really great. But it's been a while since I've, you know, been playing 30 second notes at 130. Do you think you would ever do that on purpose uh, as a way to uh, push yourself? Um, I mean, I just I just said, I yeah. My my agent really likes this piece, so he okay. was like, and he I, I'm also with a classical music agency, okay. oddly enough. So he was like, "How can we do more of this?" And I was like, "But then I'd have to learn it." <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like, and he was like also interested in doing like visual elements. Oh. And like, I was thinking about. Do you know Paul Sequesis? No. Um, he is a photo photographer. He lives in Saskatoon, and he does a book. He has a book out, um, The Blanket Toss, and it's like a coffee book of like of archival photos that he's found, oh. and they're super beautiful. And like they're all of Indigenous folks doing regular indigenous things throughout time um 
and it's super cool. But I, I think visuals along those lines with this piece, like, what, and even like, I, like your photography too also has this like, um, I guess like seventies quality to it. Has it has an older quality to it that I really like. And I really like the graininess of old recordings as well. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Oh, that sounds really great. I'll have to look into uh, his work. Yeah, Paul Sequesis. Paul Sequesis, great. From Saskatoon. Mm-hmm. I, and now I think we'll play uh, Nice and Clean, your new piece for uh, New Music Edmonton. Uh, anything uh, you want, else you want to say about it before we hear it and uh, take off? Um, no, I had a really great time writing this. Um, it took me a little bit of time to wrap my head around um, the emotions that come out of this. And I guess I wrote this more um, of like, we were talking about the speed of this. Um, I kind of wrote this like an etude, like a little bit of a showy classical piece that is more along the classical era lining like Bach Mozart kind of thing where it's like pretty pretty fast but but could also be an etude and the idea of like like how indigenous folks are perceived and also like you'll hear they say that one lady says that um they're nice and clean like indigenous folks that she's met are nice and clean she says that a lot but they also like they talk about our intellect a little bit in it and so i wanted to write something that was um a bit like tongue-in-cheek intellectual um that that was like a little bit of a f you we're smart actually yeah um, so i guess <laughs> i guess that's what i want to say about the piece and now here is chris dirksen's new work nice and clean commissioned by new music edmonton and performed here by the composer on cello and darren creech on piano most of the ones i've seen in town here seem to be very you know very nice people and they're nice and clean and didn't seem to be anything wrong with them. They're good sports and good athletes. They're monsters and they're great. And I think that too many people look down on them and I can't see that. Well, I really don't care too much about them.
there's not too much, uh, how would say it, um, place for us to actively interfere in this project, or shall we say, uh, make it more easy for the Indian to meet our people or to uh, integrate him by inviting him out here and there and everywhere. I don't think this is our part, and I think that the uh, it may even jeopardize it. I think it, uh, that it's going to uh, start has to start with the children. I really do think so. And from from childhood, we're going to do anything with the problem. From childhood, uh, we're going to do anything with the problem. Problem. Childhood, we're going to do anything with the problem. Problem. The problem. Stereotype. 
you know? Yes, I think so. You just relate to him as a person. I worked with the Indians for years, and I think uh, that uh, they did more for me than I did for them. Nice and Clean by Chris Dirksen, performed by the composer on cello alongside Darren Creech on piano. New Music Edmonton is a not-for-profit arts organization and is dependent on a vast array of sponsors, members, and volunteers. Funding and support for this season's presentations, including this podcast, has been provided by the Canada Council for the Arts, the Alberta Foundation for the Arts, Canadian Heritage, SOCAN Foundation, Alberta Gaming and Liquor, the City of Edmonton, and CJSR Radio. We thank all of them for their generosity and continued commitment to recognizing the vital role that the arts play in our lives. Thanks also to the members, volunteers, and NME staff and board members who keep it all together and happening for New Music Edmonton, to the artists whose work is the reason we come together, and of course, thank you for joining us. This is Episode 5 of New Music Edmonton's The No Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Oscar Tsebarth. Next on the program is Shumaila Hemani. With a broad range of pursuits as an artist, researcher, and teacher, Dr. Hemani is highly active and well-known as a scholar, performer, and composer. She recently spoke with Edmonton DJ and radio host Piyush Patel. Hello, my name is uh, Piyush Patel, and today I'm talking with uh, Shumela Hemani. Uh, she is an ethnomusicologist, former music faculty at the Semester at Sea Spring 2020 Voyage, and a Canada-based Sufi singer-songwriter and a acousmatic composer. As a performer, Shumaila crosses gender boundaries while singing Pakistani songs of Muslim heritage. Shumaila has a debut album coming out in March titled Mannat, which means a prayer, a wish. And she has also created a new piece called Once Upon a Time in Kobe, Japan, commissioned by New Music Edmonton that we will be listening to shortly. Shumaila, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk with me today. Thank you, Piyush, for having me. Before we uh, talk about the piece, uh, I was wondering if you can tell us a little ab- about your uh, musical journey. Uh, I understand that uh, you were born in Karachi, Pakistan, and uh, came to North America to pursue uh, graduate studies. So can you uh, tell us more about, uh, about that? So I would start by uh, sharing with the listeners that music for me has always been an inner calling and a therapeutic journey of self-discovery and resiliency. So I was born in a multilingual household in Sindh, uh, Karachi, and I was learning the poetry of Ginans, which are the religious hymns of Kojas Maidis from uh, a young age. Uh, So that was my musical upbringing. And I think it was around my early teenage that I, I, I realized that Music means much more to me than a hobby, um, and I would like to pursue it. And I did not have any formal education. And once when I uh, voiced my, my desire to my family, they were, they, they were shocked because performing arts is not something that is um, encouraged for, as a vocation, particularly for women in the traditional uh, surroundings that I grew up in. So it took a long time. I mean, I started my undergraduate studies and I found mentors and people, friends who, um, who helped me nurture my musical tastes. And finally, when I went to London, UK to study Islamic studies, 
I got a scholarship to study ethnomusicology, and that's what um, uh, facilitated my journey to come to Canada and start uh, graduate uh, work in, in uh, music in 2008. So that's, that's my journey in very short. Also in the introduction, I introduced you as a uh, Canada-based uh, Sufi singer, uh, songwriter, and as someone who uh, grew up in India, I am uh, I am somewhat familiar with uh, Sufi music. I've been listening to uh, artists such as uh, Ustad Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan and Abida Parveen, but uh, I'm sure for a lot of people, those names might uh, not be familiar, along with genre of Sufi music. Uh, so how would you describe uh, Sufi music? In very simple terms, as in, I, I would describe it in uh, two ways, as an ethnomusicologist or as an academic, Sufi music as a term is very external to the cultures of Muslim sound. They would use more local categories like Kavali or Shajurag and so forth. Uh, but Sufi music is a great umbrella term for uh, people out there to access or to be able to to be able to access these uh, local genres of Muslim sounds. So um, uh, Islam has a, an esoteric side, a spiritual side, and that is uh, that goes back to 10th century and it's a, it's a, it's a tradition that's called Tasawwuf. It's the mystical branch of Islam. It stems from the idea that uh, closeness to Allah or divinity would come from clearing your heart from looking within and from accessing love within yourself. So what you find in Sufi songs and Sufi poetry is a very strong concept of love and how to find love within yourself. And this is the divine love. This is the love of the universe. And um, that is something that's cultivated uh, through uh, listening uh, and uh, uh, there is there are movements associated with uh, listening to Sufi poetry. One of the spaces for listening to Sufi sounds is a Sufi shrine where you find hereditary communities who have been passing poetry of saints from one generation to another. And these are the hereditary communities. These include Ragi Fakhis who are, uh, it's, it's a community in, in Sindh, uh, and that has been the subject of my PhD dissertation. So if we transition from uh, the Sufi music to uh, uh, talking more about your uh, piece that you uh, commissioned for uh, New Music Edmonton, uh, your piece titled uh, Once Upon a Time in uh, Kobe, Japan. Um, so I, while I was doing some research, I uh, found out that this piece is uh, based on a concept of sound walk that was uh, uh, recorded or gathered during your travels aboard a ship back in uh, the big beginning of 2020. Uh, so for people who might not know, uh, what is a, a sound walk? And if you could also tell us uh, more about this, uh, this uh, incredible sounding voyage that you were on. So um, a sound walk is simply uh, walking and listening to the environment while you are taking a mindful walk. So usually when we are um, going about our daily lives, we are uh, we prioritize our vision, our vision guides us. But uh, sound walking is 
uh, kind of a walk that prioritizes our ears to the sounds around us. And this is how uh, the Canadian composer Hildegard Westerkamp um, uh, defines sound, sound walks. It's part of, uh, it em emerges from a movement called uh, Acoustic Ecology that started in the 70s by R. Murray Schaefer at Simon Fraser University. And uh, they started by recording sounds of uh, Vancouver um, back then and uh, also historicizing how Vancouver probably sounded 50 years before. So uh, sound, sound walk and um, soundscapes is, a, is an important concept to understand how our sonic environment has changed as a result of modern sound, modernity as a result of technology. And by prioritizing our ears, we, uh, are, we find another perspective to interact with the reality around us. Now, as part of going back to the second part of your question, I was part of the spring 2020 voyage uh, by semester at sea, and I was serving as a music faculty there. So one of my courses was called soundscapes. So in our, in our course, we were studying soundscapes from ethnomusicological perspective because we were looking at how uh, Western music had, um, uh, had, had come in, in Japan, you know, changing the soundscapes of Japan in the early 20th century and um, you know, how Western music became um, part of the shopping malls and other places. And there was an entire new community of um, musicians that emerged in Japan who were trained in Western musical instruments. And my students were given assignments to uh, conduct sound walks in the different countries that we uh, visited on the voyage. So my students were conducting sound walk and I conducted, I mean, they were conducted as a part of their assessment, uh, but I was recording sounds for my own pleasure. I was doing sound walks in different countries that I visited. So my piece, Once Upon a Time in Kobe, comes out of my sound walks, as well as my excursions in Japan and in, in, in Kobe. So I've been listening to uh, some of your music that's available on your uh on your website. And I wanted to uh, briefly talk about uh, some of the themes in your in your music. Um, mm -hmm. I noticed uh, in the piece, uh, Once Upon a Time in Kobe, Japan, that you uh, that you uh, made for uh, New Music Edmonton, that there is this uh, seamless synthesis of sounds of uh, Japanese uh, street life with that of uh, sounds of American jazz. Also in your track, uh, Muntazir, which means anticipating in English. Uh, from your upcoming album, Manat, A Prayer, A Wish, uh, you start the track with uh, singing in Urdu, and then as the song comes to an end, you're singing in English. And I also noticed uh, that this also happens on your track, uh, Living With A Purpose. So uh, there seems to be this uh, duality at work in terms of uh, languages, and uh, for this piece, uh, in terms of genres. So uh, was that something that evolved uh, naturally in your uh, musical process? And uh, what is the importance of bringing uh, together uh, Hindi, Urdu, and English in your, in your music? Um, I would like to say that it did evolve organically. And if I were to rationalize it and reflect on it, it's probably because I come from a very uh, multilingual uh, household. When I grew up in Karachi, uh, we were living with our grandparents and my grandparents had 
uh, migrated from Gujarat um, to Agra and then from Agra to, to Sindh in 1948. So when I would wake up, uh, I would wake up to them reading newspapers in Gujarati and seeing all the Gurmukhi and Devangri script. And my grandparents would talk to each other in Gujarati. But my uh, father, uh, because my family had, uh, in 1960s, they had traveled to uh, Dhaka and they were living there for some time and then they came back to Sin. Uh, if I, I, was, I grew up talking to my parents in Urdu. And in, in my school, I was learning, my, learning all the subjects in English. So uh, that in itself reflects some of the you know, multilingualism that I was being exposed to. So when I went to religious school, I uh, was learning Quran in Arabic. So I also learned to speak, uh, not speak uh, Arabic, but to read Arabic, the Quranic classical Arabic. And within one of my uh, subjects at religious school, I was learning Ginans. And Ginans are found in many different languages uh, of South Asia, including Punjabi, Siraiki, Sindhi, uh, Kachi. Um, so I was, my musical uh, world, my musical world, my musical world of early childhood is the musical, uh, is, 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 uh, consists of languages, uh, consists of South Asian languages, different South Asian languages. And then as I grew up, I became interested in music in, um, in Western music as well. And I've lived uh, for uh, considerable, you know, years in Canada and uh, be, been been absorbing things. So I find that um, I want to express myself in even even when I'm singing. So I want to express myself in English as well. So th this is um, um, the the multilinguality, like in in my uh, lyric, comes out of uh, a need to to express the reality that. I have experienced and I find that it's difficult for people out there to understand because you know when a person from South Asia uh, you know when you when you when you look at them you just think that they are associated with one particular culture and one particular language but a person like me comes from a very uh, multilingual soundscape uh, and that is that is an identity in itself and that is something that I bring forward in my music uh, with regards to the piece Once Upon in, in Kobe, Japan, yes, uh, so it organically also has uh, both Japanese and English in it. And that was an interesting contrast that I experienced on my trip because I was part of a faculty which was largely American. So I was um, experiencing American culture and at the same time experiencing Japanese culture while in Japan. So that that was something that came forward um, during my creative process. And um, it, it emerged, this idea or this concept emerged very organically um, while I was creating this composition. And this became the title piece. I also see this as like a preservation of languages uh, as well, like in your piece, uh, the inclusion of uh, different languages. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, what is your relationship with all these uh, languages that you mentioned that you grew up uh, uh, hearing? So my, my main languages, as, as I mentioned, are Urdu and English. But uh, I, when it comes to my musical languages, uh, my musical languages are include uh, Sindhi, Punjabi, 
Gujarati, Siraiki, because I'm part um, in music, I'm part of these universes. And I find that there is sometimes uh, a rupture in there is a and then yes, there is a rupture between the language I speak and the languages I feel. And this is something that I, it took me a long time to embrace this as an authentic fact that I find that the heritage elite in our countries of South Asia who are, you know, uh, diligently preserving the languages, they, uh, they, they, are, they sometimes miss, miss upon. So when it comes to, let's say, translating from Urdu to English, I can do that very well. But when it comes to uh, singing, I mean, I, can, I have written poetry in Urdu and Muntazir is one example of that. And my upcoming song, um, uh, Bedari is an example of that. It's, it's a song that's completely in Urdu. Um, but my, uh, I, I've been drawn to Sufi poetry from a very long time because of its, uh, because it, because it's rooted in indigenous South Asian languages, and my upbringing, my musical upbringing was in the indigenous South Asian languages. Now that is an aspect of my identity or an aspect of. Uh, me that I find that I, I don't see being talked about uh, this rupture that I find between my musical languages and my uh, languages languages of uh, you know uh, having casual conversations with people that is a rupture that I find that is it's it's uh, it probably it maybe uniquely belongs to me but I'm sure there are people out there who might be able to relate to that I haven't written about it. But I want to write about this because this is something that is not recognized by the heritage elite that who are preserving languages, um, the complexity of growing up in multilingual soundscape. And um, yeah. Shumaila, I just wanted to say thank you so much for uh, talking with me today. And uh, we briefly mentioned your uh, album, uh, your upcoming album, Manat. So could you uh, remind the listeners uh, about your upcoming album and maybe where they can find more information about you and your and your album? Yeah, thank you. So thank you for having me. And uh, I would uh, love to have people... Uh, uh, sign up for my mailing list because that's the best way to stay in touch. So if you go on my website, shamailahimani.com, um, you will find a place to uh, sign up for my mailing uh, list. And that will give you uh, prompt you for uh, when the album becomes available for pre-order and live stream will be coming up very soon. I mean, I, I will be doing a couple of live streams following uh, the album release. So uh, stay in touch via email. It gets filled and then 
Yeah, it gets erased.
là nhảy sức đền nè đi chơi nè mũ quạt nữa nha cả nhà ơi chúng ta hãy cùng nhau chào đón những tiết mục đó tiếp theo nha cho một chàng của tay thật lớn nữa không ạ rồi chúng ta bắt đầu cùng những chương trình tiếp theo ai mà muốn nhảy sexy đen thì chúng ta hãy cùng nhau đứng lên nhảy luôn nha cả nhà nha one two three ok recurrent dream about being in Japan. Long after we disembark, many voyagers shared that they have recurring dreams about the ship. Yeah. In my dreams, I find myself talking to the American faculty friends and colleagues with whom I traveled. In one dream, I missed the dog time in Japan 
and anxiously raced to the gangway as the ship blew its sirens and began moving. Since Japan was so safe and friendly towards foreigners, especially women, my conscious mind says that these dreams represent a wish unfulfilled because, like many voyagers, I would love to return to Japan and stay there longer. That was Once Upon a Time in Kobe, Japan, a new acousmatic work by Shumaila Himani, commissioned by New Music Edmonton and preceded by a conversation between Dr. Himani and Piyush Patel. We've come to the end of this edition of The No Normal. Thank you to all the artists for sharing their thoughts and their work, and special thanks to Matthew Cardinal and Piyush Patel for their interviews. As we head towards March 2021, it's hard not to be aware of the first anniversary of the pandemic being declared. We've all had our struggles and losses during this time, and have shared a continued uncertainty about where things are going. At New Music Edmonton, we continue to focus on supporting artists, and we continue to be struck by the incredible work they create, as well as their insights into creativity during unprecedented times. Watch for announcements about our March lineup, which includes our 10th Now Hear This Festival. There will be a new podcast episode featuring new works, interviews, live streams, and recordings from an incredible roster of artists, and a special event to mark the Spring Equinox. To learn more about our programming, please visit newmusicedmonton.ca. The No Normal Podcast was created by Caitlin Sean Richards and Ian Crutchley for New Music Edmonton and is produced and hosted by me, Oscar Zebart. <laughs>